listen. And our only goal with this podcast is to help you feel more awesome each time you listen. Whether it's by laughing at us, laughing with us, or learning something new and helpful, we hope you feel a tad more empowered, lightened up, and awesome than you did before. It feels good to be back. I feel like Michael Scott when he pulls up with the glasses. What has just happened? It's like just the beginning. It's Michael Scott Paper Company is the is the season finale. Then he can, oh, yeah. you, don't know, you don't know what's happened over the summer. And he pulls up and he goes, "It's Brittany blank." <laughs> we have had a tiny break from the podcast in June, but it's July. It's hot. It's steamy. And speaking of hot and steamy, I'm here with the one, the only, my husband, Mr. Eric Robertson. He just flexed and kissed his own guns. You're welcome. He legitimately just did that. You have no idea the the meaty sight that I just I'm took I'm just in. excited to be here. We, You know what? And we're excited to have you. Yes, you listening to the podcast. We're excited to have you here for episode 52, Overcoming My Anxiety. This is a special episode. <laughs> special? Special like me. I'm going to give you kind of a long history, my history with anxiety and what it has looked like through my entire life and what I have done in the past years to um, overcome it in a lot of ways. I, I'm not going to say that I've overcome anxiety. I don't have anxiety. I'm cured. No. Eric, would you say I'm better? Yeah, I would definitely say that. Thank you. I just really wanted some credit because I feel like I've come really far and I feel like I'm telling them and they're like, sure, you have Allison. And you're like, yeah, you're doing good, babe. Yeah, good job. No, <laughs> give me more praise. <laughs> I don't know how much more I can give you. This has been like the struggle of my life. So we're going to talk about that later. But before we get into that, we have a couple of segments. Do we? I thought we just had one. We have at least one. Okay, let's give them the one. It's It's been a while. Nobody cares about your kids. And we know that you guys don't care about our kids, but sometimes we want to tell you about them anyway. Sometimes we barely do. Yeah. No, they're so cute. They're well, so Well, first cute. off, our oldest seven-year-old is basically a teenager. She just spent a whole week away from us and legitimately did not care and or miss us at all. I asked her if she thought about us, and she said, well... I thought about Spike, and I think I thought about you, but mostly I was having fun, so I just fell asleep really fast when I went to bed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then my five-year-old son tonight, he was in his jammies, which he was in all day, never changed. I got home from work, and he was still rocking them hard. And he took his shirt off because he was hot, and he said, Mom, is there, like, ever a time boys take their shirts off and just kind of dance around? What did you tell him? I just needed to know if, like, the babysitter had been watching Magic Mike with him. Because, like, he what, probably like, snuck what? in while you were watching it. No. <laughs> Mom, what's this? No, I've never seen it. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna let everyone decide whether or not I'm telling the truth. Okay, but speaking of movies, that was the other segment. Is we usually have a getting booky with it. Na 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 na. We always have so many book recommendations for you, and I'm sure I will share some throughout this episode. But Eric and I would like to just share our love for the movie Life of the Party. We loved Life of the Why Party. Why don't we just share our love for Melissa McCarthy? Okay, we that's, love that's Melissa really McCarthy. And Life of the Party, like, some people, I don't know, it didn't get good ratings. Who cares? It's super cheesy. Like, I have been counting down the days until it is available. To, to buy on iTunes? It's July 24th. 
Like, I, I know the day it's available. That's a celebration day in Utah. So it'll, it'll be multi- it's pioneer day in Utah. multiple facets for you. I'm very, very excited. All right. So this here's what our intention is with this episode. I actually get asked about anxiety, overcoming anxiety. How do I deal with my anxiety? This is a huge, huge question. Um, I get personally, I get through the podcast in person when I teach, when I speak at workshops. I obviously touch on a lot of these points and things that have helped with overcoming my anxiety. And it's kind of the point of the podcast, um, tools that are going to help you feel more awesome than you did before. But I've wanted to wait. I really did want to wait until I could do an episode where I just sat down and shared everything from start to finish where I'm at and then how I think you can take what I've learned and I hope use it to help you. So here's the outline of this episode. I'm going to share my anxiety journey, how I've dealt with it truly for the last 30 years. So I'm 34 and I feel really confident and comfortable saying I can identify anxious feelings really probably about as early as seven or eight uh, probably seven, early. eight years old, right? What? Seven or eight years old. Seven or eight years old. And when I was younger, my family would just call it Allison freaking out. And they were, it was just called my freakouts. And there really wasn't like a, a term for it. It was just, I was being a brat and freaking out. And that's really what I thought. So going all the way back there to all the way present day, where, where I am presently is managing my anxiety without medication and even after a pretty hard year with recovery from the broken ribs and having to be in bed and loss of work, um, I do have the occasional Xanax for panic attack that is prescribed to me. So I'm not saying that I don't believe in medicine. I'm not saying you shouldn't take medicine. So we'll get into my journey because medicine, whether or not it's all part of it. But then what we're going to do at the end is I have a overcoming your anxiety checklist and it has 10 things on it that no matter where you are, it's going to give you a place to start because so often I think what happens is you tune into a podcast like this or you pick up a book and you're in that place where you need help, but it almost feels like the place that you are is too low for any of the steps that they're offering. And I just, I really want anybody, wherever you are right now, if you're feeling super awesome, I hope that this gives you some empathy for people around you who might be struggling with this. And if you're of the lowest of the low right now, I want you to know I've been there and I see you and this episode is for you too. So get all the journey bells out, Eric, all the, th- all the finger oh, yeah. symbols There's happening. A lot of journey and- things. <laughs> journey, journey, journey. And let's get right into it. All right. So like I said, I can remember feeling a lot of anxiety or um, tension or just like freaking out. Really, truly what it felt like for me was feeling so overstimulated, so overwhelmed and so extreme with my emotions that I just needed to like scream or throw a tantrum or really before I could identify it, like this, the feeling of your skin crawling and your body being tense and anxious through elementary school, middle school, high school, just dealing with probably very average amounts of that. My old saying, 
thing that I that I like to point out is if you remember middle school fondly, you probably you it might be hard for other people to relate to. You. I don't think anyone has a good time in middle school. <laughs> yeah, that was my my worst era. Yeah, like it, it's just a really rough time with puberty, and I really do remember like with puberty and with those changes, my anxiety manifesting more and more. And I one of the earliest. <laughs> earliest kind of like anxiety attacks or times I can remember that anxiety incapacitated me from acting was this boy named Steve that I like literally was so into and had the biggest crush on ever asked me out and this was like eighth grade and I hadn't kissed a boy and I was like terrified of boys still he asked me out and I was like gonna be his girlfriend and I remember like shaking and sweating and I mean like but then at of the blue like three or four days later we hadn't even talked so like we were boyfriend girlfriend but we hadn't even talked sounds intense yeah it was intense love i i needed to break up with him i couldn't do it i couldn't do it and my friend alexis stepped in and broke up with steve for me thank you alexis (laughs) and about a day later i got my first period Ah. And yeah, and if only I had understood then, and sorry for my male lis- listeners, uh, but not sorry at all, if only I had understood then how tightly my anxiety was tied to my cycle. And I did not actually gain that understanding until I was pregnant because it was very difficult for me to realize that the ramp up of anxiety was always tied to that also tied to life circumstances. So instead of realizing it was tied hormonally, I would always attribute it to life life circumstances. Like I'm dating this boy. I'm nervous around this boy. I have to dump him. So you tried to find meaning in all, all, all the things that were happening. And that was the cause. Is that what you're saying? Like That's literally what I did for 25 plus years. Yeah. What, what else would you do if you didn't know the real, real cause? Ex- exactly. So I really just thought that I just had freakouts. I couldn't handle things. So let's move to high school. Every time a new school year would start, I would be filled with so much anxiety that I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't sleep. I just would, for the first few weeks, just kind of like run on adrenaline. That even happened into college. And in high school, I remember my first big freakouts were all around events. So why did I go into events? Freak out. I'm like a glutton for punishment. My first dance that I was asked to, I remember having like, you know, rocking back and forth, just really crawling with anxiety in my bed, not wanting to go to the dances, not wanting to do that. And I know, I understand that there's like teen angst and feeling uncomfortable. I know that I had that, but I also had pretty extreme, I'm not functioning. I would get very anxious going to like the dentist or a doctor appointment. I still get anxious going to the dentist or doctor. And it's like my mom had to bribe me and pull me out of the car, like physically pull me out of the car. Pretty extreme things uh, (laughs) with the Allison show. So, you know, going to dances would trigger a lot of those anxiety attacks. But then also when I was a junior, I was the junior class president. And that meant you needed to throw the senior prom. And that was truly like my first big event that I ever did. I remember that my entire family had to rally around 
around me and also my really, really good friend who is still my good friend to this day, Jessica Dahlquist of the Extraordinary Moms podcast. That's how we became so close is she stepped in and she helped me when I was having anxiety attacks overthrowing the senior prom. Man, it's like when I say this, it's like, why did I go into events? This is so funny. Like it really is like so mind-blowing. You're addicted to chaos. I am. And we're going to talk about that addiction to the adrenaline and not even to the chaos, but to the suffering. So I just want to hop into college now. And what happened in college is I had a crisis of faith, an existential crisis. You also become more aware of the world. You're away from your family. You start questioning, what do I know? What do I really believe? This triggered a lot of anxiety and now a big new one for me, depression. Really, really deep depressive states. In college, these are the first times I can remember escalating to the point where I can think of hours spent walking back and forth in like a small house in a room um, where I lived. Just hours, hours. And I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. And so I wouldn't look at my roommates. There were six of us living together. I would climb out of the window to leave so that I wouldn't have to talk to anyone. I was sharing this actually with my team today because our friend Francesco, who has become a part of the brand school and was at our last couple workshops and is just this amazing person in my life who he's who showed up at that time. I was telling them he would sit outside my window and just talk to me through the screen because I wouldn't leave my room. Another big, what I thought was circumstantial to my anxiety and depression was I had this really serious on and off again relationship. I've talked about it before. It was over five years long and it was with somebody that I, I deeply loved and it was just really a lot of anxiety and depression tied to that. I never took medication. I never went to counseling. I did start seeking some help for my hormones. My mom would kind of point out my severe, you know, mood swings and different things. And so it was in college, we started thinking that my anxiety was tied to my hormones. And so not 100% tied to my period cycle, but had my hormone levels tested, testosterone levels tested. I actually had um, like injections of hormones. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Took some different hormone pills, thinking that that might help level some things out. I don't really feel like it did a ton. I kind of just, you know, got back to being okay. And after I graduated from college, I was okay. And then I married Eric. I would have really deep, deep, dark times when we were first married too. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't thought about that for a long time, but yeah, there was some times where Think you Think of the time uh, I was asked to do flowers for oh a wedding. Oh my gosh, yeah. And it didn't go exactly how they, you wanted they turned to. They like, turned out horrible. It wasn't that bad. They were terrible. It wasn't that bad. You couldn't you couldn't cope with like not having them be perfect. I like and, and like couldn't cope. Like we're talking like can't sleep, pacing back and forth, shaking, crying, like that you disappointed someone. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And also I would get really, really dark and deep about my body a lot too. Yeah. And that that would make you really angry. Yeah. I think that's the maddest I've ever been in my life. Yeah, you yelled at me. Yeah. Yeah. Because you wouldn't stop talking about your body. Yeah, and how horrible it was. Yeah, over and over for years, for a couple years. For years. Yeah. Yeah. Back to that pattern. There's so many patterns here, and I'm not awesome at recognizing my own patterns. It's something I'm trying to be better at, and it's also something that has really saved me is Eric helps me recognize my patterns. And so being married to Eric, I was able to start seeing, also because you're living with one person. Yeah. 
So I know I'm, I know if my roommate Danielle or Tara was listening, they can remember the times of me being locked in my room. They can remember the times of me pacing back and forth. It's not that they weren't reaching out to me. It's not that people didn't care about me. It's just that I'm also really, really good at downplaying how severe my symptoms are. Yeah, you're great at it. I'm phenomenal. Like uh, doctors, therapists, uh, I can, and it's, I'm not doing it intentionally. That's just how I present the information. So I got pregnant. The funny story about that is that when you get pregnant, your hormones can go really extreme right away. And I was so, so volatile when I first got pregnant before I actually knew that I was pregnant, that Eric was telling me we should stop trying to get pregnant because I needed to go to therapy before I tried to have babies. And then four hours later, I took a pregnancy test. <laughs> like four hours after that conversation, I took a pregnancy test. Oh, man. And I was pregnant. And Eric went and laid face down on the bed when I found out I was pregnant with Ginger. Yeah. And, and you, guess who handled it like a champ? You were like so happy to be pregnant or something. Well, I just was like, he's allowed to feel this way. It's not like I have these moments of being a rock star. Like, I can't believe I handled that so well, you know? Yeah. So throughout that first pregnancy with Ginger, that's when I realized what a burden my period was. I had in the past with birth control tried to do the thing where like you would skip your period. So again, it's not like this is the only time we realized it. Like other other doctors had said, hey, let's try to give you that birth control that makes it so you skip a period. What would happen is I would get all the crazy symptoms and feelings and then no release of like having an actual period. And then I would just be like, I'm crazy. Yeah. Because if anyone listening has a PMDD, the severe period and all of the symptoms with it, you know that when it comes... Any woman knows once your period comes, you're like, oh, that's why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, it's always, it's literally always this. That explains I don't, it. I don't really want to kill you. <laughs> yeah, like, waka waka. <laughs> and it's easy to, like, laugh and make fun. But then it's, you know, sometimes it's as extreme of, I can't imagine a scenario in which there's a reason to live tomorrow. Like, really even going that deep. And so during Ginger's pregnancy... I was okay, physically very uncomfortable and not having a great pregnancy that way. I thought the second trimester was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And comparatively to the other pregnancies too. And then in the third trimester, I got something called coleostasis. It's a, what is it? I think it has something to do with your gallbladder. Basically, bile builds up in the palms of your hand and feet and it causes extreme itchiness. It causes extreme itchiness on your palms and on the bottom of your feet. So also I needed to be induced. But hold on. It's also itchiness that you can't relieve by scratching. Oh yeah, because it's like under your skin. So people get really sleep deprived because you can't really stop the itching and you're pregnant. So you're already feeling vulnerable and volatile. So people in the like who have had this like can go as crazy as like burning their hands on like a stove to like to stop the itch. Itching. Yeah. Because you add itching with pregnancy, with sleep deprivation, and... Cuckoo. Yeah, yeah, you lose your mind. And stress, because it's also dangerous for the baby, which is why they induce you early. So I had that with Ginger. After I had Ginger, I was going to a group of midwives. I did not know that postpartum anxiety was a thing. Everybody talks about postpartum depression, and I didn't feel depressed. I felt wired and unable to sleep and just, like, so so strung out when they do like a montage of like meth heads that's how i felt 
But I know you're laughing at me, but like that's how I felt. Like that pacing back and forth, the rocking back and forth, the like scratching yeah. your arms and yeah. legs. Like again, I talk about it in a really straightforward way and we're laughing, but I want you to know like if you're doing that, we're not laughing at you. It's not funny. It's just shocking that like I've lived with so much of this for so long. Finally, my mom intervened, really said for your daughter, for your marriage, you need to go and speak to the midwives and get some medication. And I went to the midwives and they did prescribe me with some medication that I took all the time. I believe it was like a Zoloft type of situation, like something in that. There's a Z involved. There's a Z involved. I took the medicine. I was I was okay. Yeah. I didn't have as high a highs. I didn't have as low a lows. I didn't like the way it felt because I missed my high highs. I like being addicted to those, like my enthusiasm high highs. Yeah, it was kind of like you were just coasting. Yeah, it was coasting. So where am I in my life? I'm growing the Allison show. I'm starting to do um, events for other people. I'm starting to grow on Instagram. I'm starting to do the dance parties. Then I'm still medicated. I go to the same group of midwives, and I and then then I am two years. So the way that we had our babies is when the baby's two years old, I get pregnant. So the babies end up being about two years and nine months apart. And it just worked out like that for all three. Uh So I get pregnant with Rad. It was a very, very hard pregnancy, mentally and emotionally. Eric lost his job while we were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that almost like wasn't even it though. I just, I think I had so much anxiety around, was I going to get cholestasis again? And also I was just doing so much with my work and just taking on so much. I had all of the limiting beliefs and all of the negative thought processes and all of the negative emotional habits that were causing me to, you know, need the medication and I hadn't done any work to address them. So as I go through the checklist, that's something I'm going to talk about is I believe that medicine is very important and that for so many people, it is the right option, but you just cannot convince me that people should be taking antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication and not also counselor. And I know some people might get defensive about that. You're like, actually, I'm fine. You don't know me, Allison. I don't know you. And I'm not a doctor and I'm not a therapist. And I probably should have made that disclaimer at the start. I'm sharing my personal journey and from my personal experience with the people I interact with and from my experience taking drugs, it did not serve me to take drugs that numbed me out in a way that did not also bring me to a point where I needed to address the real problems. I'm not mad at anyone about that. I just want to share that because I wish somebody had said it to me, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if I would have listened. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. I don't know. But, you know, that's my experience. And so I'm sharing it with you. So we're going to continue this journey. And I'm going to continue to tell you the different parts. And I'm excited to get to the overcoming your anxiety checklist. But I do need to share with you what is bringing you this podcast and also a lot of my recent anxiety. And it is the launch of my audio courses. The audio courses from Allison's Brand School. There are two audio courses. And they are all about collaborations, how to work with brands and how to work with influencers. The first one is how to work with influencers to build your brand. And the second audio course is how to work with brands to grow your empire. We launched these courses last November. They are done in an audio interview format with industry experts sharing all their behind the scenes looks of how they collaborate with brands 
and how they also collaborate with influencers. And the way that I came up with these courses is at my Build an Awesome Brand workshop, this is what everybody wanted to talk about. So people who had a product or a service or a bricks and mortar store wanted to know, how do I reach out to influencers? Should I pay them? Is it worth it? Are they going to screw me over? How much are other people paying them? I don't trust them. I had this bad experience. And the influencers were saying the same things about the brands. How do I reach out to brands? They're going to think I'm an idiot if I don't have this following. Am I legit? I don't even know what I want to do. Like, how would I reach out to a brand and collaborate with them? And that brought the birth of these audio courses. They are live right now, July 11th through the 27th for a very limited time. Well, who's on the courses? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Eric. We interviewed industry experts like Ojoy, Joy Cho, huge influencer and brand. So talking to her was incredible. I was really impressed by her. I I had heard about her through you. Yeah. But going down there and seeing her how she runs her company and seeing all that was, it was so amazing. cool. Yeah, she's incredible. I'm sold. She's awesome. She, well, th- I'm, that's so awesome. And we also have an interview with her that's going to be on the podcast next week too. Yes. So be looking forward to that. We also talked to, we interview my sister Andrea of Tubby Todd, how she works with influencers. And then each course has this format. So I interview the person and I say, hey, talk to the influencers, tell them how to reach out to brands, tell them how they can make collaborations happen, tell them how to price, how to charge. And then I talk to the same person and I say, hey, now talk to the other brands. How do you get people to work with you? How much do you pay them? And it's so much more than that because what it it comes down to is business is good relationships and collaborations. And when I step back and I look at what have I done to grow the dance parties, the podcast, what have I done to grow anything? The Build an Awesome Brand Workshop is I've reached out to brands and influencers and collaborated with them. And so people are sharing their numbers, the behind the scene looks, we have templates. It's so much information. Just go to allisonsbrandschool.com or find us on Instagram at allisonsbrandschool because like I said, this is a limited time offer. And I want to thank you guys for those of you who are listening to this podcast for listening to the interruption because as you know, the way that monetize our businesses is by selling our own products. Right. Not by selling advertising space. Yeah. And this is my big money for the year, guys. So I'm going to talk about it for the next couple weeks. And I just want to say thank you so much. If it's not information that applies to you, like, I'm just so glad you're here. And I just really appreciate your support. Like, thank you so much. And if this does sound like something that applies to you, I would just love for you to check it out because there's so much information that I think you'll learn even just learning about the courses. There's so much value. I've learned a ton. I edit all of them. Mm-hmm. So I, I've implemented stuff in my business and it's definitely like next level stuff that you, you can't just get on the streets. Like it's, it's behind the scenes. Stuff. Oh, it's, it's yeah. Awesome. It's behind the scenes because if you were to go to a conference, you're spending $500 on a conference ticket and then spend several thousand or hundred dollars traveling. You go to the conference and people get up and they speak to the whole group, but they can't share those intimate details in an open group setting like yeah. that. And you know how to pull it out of people, so good job. Well, there's that too. And speaking pulling anxiety out of people, this course launch and having my first full-time employee and coming off of my injury, this has been a time where I have had to employ all the tactics. Yeah. So we're recording this the night before. It launches tomorrow morning. And the fact that I'm not hiding under a desk is like progress. Yeah, you're doing great. It's progress. I'm doing great, guys. Do you like how much affirmation I need? (laughs) So we're excited for you to check that out. Let's get back to me having anxiety and 
and me having babies. With my pregnancy with Rad, it, it did. It got really, really dark. And here's what happened. I have a blog post that we are going to link to, Tips for Managing a Rough Pregnancy. I wrote that after being pregnant with Fiona because coming off of Rad's pregnancy, during my second pregnancy is the time that I have been closest to suicide the time that I've been in the darkest, lowest place that I've ever been. I think a really big part of it is the hormones, the anticipating, was I going to get that awful sickness again? Also, I was going on and off of the medication. Yeah, it was messing you up And it was messing me up. I needed help. I was in a situation where every time I went to the midwives, to the doctors, I was meeting with a different person. They say, how are you doing? And I said, well, I just, you know, kind of want to kill myself, but you know... Who doesn't when you're pregnant? But like... They never got what you were saying. They didn't get it. And it's not their fault they didn't get it. No. My problem is I always think it's not that bad. But I would make you... I remember saying, no, you have to like tell them what's you, going on. And you I, I finally would tell them did. Too. I'm like, no, this is this so is. So really Eric bad. finally came in towards the very end when it got very, very extreme. But it had, it had already gotten very extreme. Like it had already gotten into a really bad place. Eric brought me in. I, w- I wouldn't let you joke your way out of it. Yeah. And so I went back on the medication. I'd had an experience with a nurse practitioner who was just visiting, and she said to me, she was asking, I was just crying. I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't, like, I couldn't talk because I couldn't stop crying. It was really humiliating and I couldn't stop crying. She basically said to me in the most humiliating moment of my life, you know, there's just some people who are so crazy that they need to just always stay on drugs. The reason she said it that way is I don't think English was her first language. And so I don't want you to think she's a terrible person. She just didn't have the verbal capacity to communicate it in a better way. But the way that she communicated it to me and like the things I needed to hear and then being in that low, low position, it just kind of like sent me over the edge. And then I stopped taking any of the medication and just spiraled. After I had RAD, I took the medication again for a while. But like I said, I wasn't seeking counseling and I wasn't doing anything to address the habitual anxiety, the habitual panic attacks. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about when I say habitual anxiety. I believe I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, but based on everything I've read and researched in my own life experience that I have habitual anxiety, anxiety that stems from me having a series of thoughts and responding to those thoughts and my thoughts are habits, your thoughts are habits, all of our thoughts are habits. The thoughts that we have over and over again or habits and this also really changed it for me is when I heard that the emotions that we live in are also habits because human beings have thousands of emotions and there was a study done and I've shared this before there was a study done and people were asked to write down every emotion they felt over the course of two weeks and most people had between 10 and 12 emotions that they lived in and about half were negative and half were positive. And so I teach this at my Build an Awesome Brand workshop. If you are the type of person who says, I'm overwhelmed, I want you to think, do you get overwhelmed a lot? I don't sit around and say, I'm overwhelmed. I say, I am going to have an anxiety attack. They both essentially mean the same thing. If you get bummed out, that essentially is going into a place of depression. I'm not saying you're suffering from depression. I'm saying that living in a high state of anxiety and adrenaline at this point in my life was both a habit 
but it was also hormonal because no matter like how awesome I was feeling about things, it can be the day before my period and I'm legit just crying going, why am I crying? And Eric's smiling because he... Uh, yeah. He he knows that road. So after I had rad, I slowly tapered off the medicine and I was doing lots of dance parties. When I talk and you've heard me say at one point I was having an anxiety attack every single day for six months. This was the time I was having an anxiety attack every single day for six months. I was working more than I had ever worked. I was doing more than I had ever done. And instead of addressing the anxiety and going to a counselor or getting back on medication, I just kept working and doing more. I just never stopped. I just absolutely compulsively never stopped so I wouldn't have to address any of the feelings. By the end of the year, I was legitimately turning into a... an insane person. I was planning my nervous breakdown. I was planning when I was going to be hospitalized. I was looking forward to it. I was fantasizing over being injured so that I could get out of the things that I needed to do. Not quite as severe in thinking about harming myself, but I would pull out my hair. I would hit my head against the wall. I would dig my nails into my skin. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And it sounds really extreme, but I wouldn't tell anyone I was doing this. Finally, my mom intervenes. I started seeing a therapist for the first time, and she was great. She really helped me by essentially telling me that I was just doing too much, (laughs) which anyone else could have told me, but I wasn't listening. But the way she said it, that by doing so much, I was going to run my business into the ground, I listened. Going to her helped me get to a place where I felt like I could have a third baby. That relationship with that therapist, unfortunately... Like I said, I'm really good at convincing people I'm okay. I was really excited to talk about her business, and it turned into me essentially kind of coaching her, and I needed less work, not more work. And the only reason I'm sharing that is I would never want to throw shame or shade on anyone, especially someone in a healthcare profession, but I didn't realize that that's not okay. Like, it's truly not okay, and also, it's okay if somebody's not a right fit for you. Whether or not you're like, well, it's a great area. Maybe it is a great area. She's she's a wonderful person, truly. Like she really gave me some tools that really helped me. I probably went to her a total of four or five times, honestly. So it wasn't, you know, this big long relationship. But I needed to know that I could find somebody else and like that was okay. And I just didn't feel that way. Finding someone can be so difficult and hard. It just was too hard. And so I got some good tools and got to a place where I was like, okay, I'm gonna get pregnant with Fiona. I can do this next pregnancy. And so for my pregnancy with Fiona, we changed doctors because I was like, if I go to a different doctor or midwife every time, they're not going to be able to tell when I'm not okay. I have to be going to the same person every time so that they can see like what a baseline Allison is like. Because even a very depressed baseline Allison can crack some really good jokes. Then also Eric came with me to every single appointment. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Because he was there when I was downplaying any symptoms to say, hey, no, this is happening and this is actually happening. Yeah, nothing slid through the cracks. Yeah, so I had to have a chaperone and I had had female midwives. I had an old man family practitioner doctor. I did. I delivered in a different hospital. I made everything as completely different as I could. That was like a very good idea. Yeah, it really, really helped. So again, I, I hope that, I hope something in this is helping you. I hope that you're relating in some way either for you or someone you love. So after my pregnancy with Fiona, Fiona is two and a half. After my pregnancy 
pregnancy with Fiona, again, that really, really bad postpartum anxiety, just really waiting till it goes away. It doesn't really go away. And so I just work right through it. Just kept working and working. And I started throwing, um, I, I did my first dance party. Fiona was only two months old. And I did a dance party. And then I did more dance parties. So this is 2016. So by the spring of 2016, I've had the realization at this point that the most important thing is your mental and emotional health. I've done a little bit of the How to Be Awesome series. I've really started dabbling in trying to feel as awesome as you are. I already had my only You Can Be You and You Are Already As Awesome As You Need To Be. I I had done this keynote that I'm actually giving again now called uh, Awesome Tools for Awesome. So I had a lot of the tools in place now, but I wasn't truly applying them. So that's 2016. When Fiona was just still really small, I was doing okay. It's it's never like I'm faking it, guys. It's never like I'm dancing on Instagram and it's like, oh, she's really a wreck. Like when I'm dancing on Instagram, I genuinely feel that way in the moment. And then when I'm hitting my head against the wall and pulling my hair out, I genuinely feel that way in the moment. And I share that because I think people have this misconception with mental health that like if you're not huddled up in a corner the whole time suffering you're okay that that's not true you just have high highs and low lows I have high highs and low lows and also I didn't think that I needed to get help because I wasn't suffering x amount of hours of the day but suffering most of the day most days is not okay suffering half of the day most days is not okay. And we're going to get into that for your overcoming anxiety checklist. With Fiona, I did, I really refused to recognize that I had detached from my body. I always created plenty of milk and I wasn't creating milk. My nipples were cracking. Fiona, I was having a hard time nursing her. I just kept working and working and going through the year. She was born in December. So Towards the spring, getting into fall of 2016, I I started to break again. Like break, 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 break. Essentially what ended up happening is an intervention with a friend. It wasn't an intervention like, oh, she's going to come meet me and have an intervention with me. It was a friend and I were having a conversation. She intervened and she was able to help me identify where my energy was being drained. Because during 2016, I would do the parties and have a great time. And I was working on all these other things. But other than that, I was literally just watching RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, I would just watch TV and eat. And I'd gotten completely out of the habit of exercising. So... I knew that I was going back to that dark place again, going down further and further. And it was a miracle. It was amazing. I had this intervention. And again, I say intervention just in that a friend and I had the right conversation at the right place and she was able to give me the right tools. And she was able to help me see what was draining my energy. Then I'm going to, in the tools for overcoming your anxiety checklist, I'm going to share the steps I started taking after that. So let's recap based on my personal experience. Again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor, but I did have a counselor at my last Build an Awesome Brand workshop and she like was on board with everything I did and said and it made me feel very validated. (laughs) When other healthcare professionals are like, hey, you're not ruining people's lives with your content. You are teaching correct principles. I'm like, thank you. I'm not trying to be a therapist. I want to be me. And if, you know, I don't think I could be me and be a therapist, you know, but I do 
do want to make sure I'm teaching correct tools and principles. So get out your notebooks, get out your phone. I'm going to give you my overcoming anxiety checklist. And my first number one is don't wait to get help until it gets worse. I've shared this quote twice today and different things that I've done. It is from Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. He's a concentration camp survivor and psychologist, and he says, self-imposed suffering is masochistic, not heroic. Right now, I want you to stop suffering because 12 more hours of suffering is 12 more hours of suffering. One more anxiety attack is one more anxiety attack. And there is no magic number or rule of breakdowns or feeling down that you need to hit in order to reach out to get help. I wish that I had let people help me. I wish that I had reached out for help. If you don't know how to find a counselor, start saying to people that you're talking to, I need a reference for a counselor. And say it to people, pray, put it in your heart, and you will in your gut know when to bring it up. And if you truly are in such a low place that you cannot get to that part, there is the crisis text line at 741-741 in the U.S. I'm going to give that again at the end. You need to reach out for help. You need to reach out for help. Please don't wait. Google. What I did is I Googled therapists and I looked at their pictures and prayed about it. No, I Googled them and I made you look at the pictures. That's actually 100% true. Yeah. I was the one like, nope, look at him. She looks nice. Oh, he looks kind. Yeah. She looks nice. She looks wise. I mean, there's no wrong way to do it. And I always think that there's some big way that it has to be done. Nope. It's very organic, actually. And reach out for help. Number two, if you're taking medicine, really look into counseling. So at one point, I went to a different nurse practitioner to look about getting more medicine. And she essentially, this was during my six months of anxiety breakdown phase. She basically looked into my eyes. I've never had this happen. She looked into my eyes and said, I'm telling you information and you are unable to hear what I'm saying right now. Like you are not in a place. Like she basically was like, you need to get on medication immediately. (laughs) She's like, you are not hearing the words. You're not comprehending what I'm saying. Yeah. She's like, you're not comprehending what I'm saying. And I was like looking at her like, why does she think I'm not comprehending what she's saying? And I just ignored her and left. Like she literally like, I think was all but going to commit me somewhere. And I just walked out of the office. Yeah. And, And so I'm not talking to going to your doctor. I'm saying seek out a therapist seek out a counselor like like and eric and i just told you how to do it i think and i think there's college res- if you're in college there's resources take advantage of whatever uh, whatever resources you have if you're a member of the lds church i know there's um family services i've never used those services i've used private services. If you go to a college campus, there's usually services. If you're in the military, you guys, you guys have all the best resources in the military. And what else? Like, I like, I like your advice to put it in your heart and kind of will it and it will happen. Tell people. Yeah. But if you are in too low of a place to do that, you need to at least confide in a friend. And if you, if you during this episode, somebody has come to your heart or come to your mind, will you reach out to them and say, I love you and wonder if you couldn't benefit from talking to someone? Would you like me to help you find someone to talk to? Yeah. And if somebody had phrased it like that to me, I wonder if this wouldn't help you. Well, how do you feel about that? I would have that's a way that I will accept help. Number three is identify your single biggest energy draining negative belief. 
How are you going to do that? Probably through counseling, maybe through journaling. Maybe you're going to be lucky like me and run into the beautiful soul that is Natalie Norton, and she's going to be able to help you see what is draining your energy. And the reason this is number three is because if you truly are in that low place where your energy is just so drained, getting help or like going for a gratitude practice, like that is not in your realm of possibility. And even listening to this podcast might exhaust you because you're like, these are so far out of my reach of possibility. If you're in that place, you need to identify what the single greatest energy suck is. And what it was for me is I was allowing my energy to be drained by all these certain things. And it's pretty personal and private to me. Like I share a lot. I don't necessarily feel like going into the exact details, but as I was able to not allow that energy drain of that one negative belief I had, I was able to plug that up. Then I was able to move on to the next steps. So I don't want you, these are in chronological order. I do not want you to be jumping to step seven, eight, or nine if you can't make it past step three. Because if you can't make it past step three, you're asking too much of yourself. So step number four is once you have that energy, move your body. The second I realized what was draining my energy, what that negative belief was, I was able to wake, I I literally woke up the next morning and went for a walk. And then I went on a walk every morning after that almost until I got hit by a car and I lost 40 pounds. And you can go and listen to that in more detail on episode eight, my weight loss journey. After I moved my body, I could start implementing number five, a gratitude practice. So if you have not listened to episodes 23 and 24, where we talk about our gratitude practice, the one that I did to help me start overcoming my anxiety, then you need to go listen to that or implement your own gratitude practice, a gratitude journal, some meditation, whatever works for you. Number six is grow, learn, and evolve. There is universal truth in every art form, in every sport, in every practice, in everything. There are universal truths. And so you don't have to read self-help books or listen to podcasts like this if you don't genuinely enjoy it. You could go become really disciplined in a new martial art form and learn ton of amazing universal truths that apply to living a happier life doing that. I'm sure you find principles like that in your music, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just the act of creation and being creative. Yes, that act of creation and being creative. And that leads us to number seven, which is fill your well. You need to be filling your well at all times. So you need to grow and evolve and learn new things. That's number six. And number seven is you need to fill your well. You cannot be bringing forth clear, amazing water if you aren't filling your well with clear thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you need to fill your well with positive thoughts. You need to fill your well with positive people. You need to fill your well with positive media. You need to fill your well with joy and rest. And also like I fill my well by sitting on the porch at night. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like quote unquote inspirational. It can be just quiet. It can be just, it can be, it can be whatever it needs to be for you. Yeah. Number eight is start to notice how your thoughts and emotions are habits. So it wasn't until I had gone through one through seven that I then could start to be in an emotional place where I could witness, I see this Allison girl 
and this is me like witnessing myself, I see Allison and look how upset she is by this. Look how deeply this is affecting her. And I would be able to stand back from it and start to ask, how is this negative thought benefiting me? Well, when I start panicking, people help me. And when I start panicking, I feel important because my problems are important. And when I start panicking, I get the knowledge that it's going to be great because every time I've panicked before, it's stressed me out and then I do a good job. (laughs) Yeah. And I want you to start keeping track of your habits and your emotions, especially the negative ones. And I just want you to not judge them and not fight them and ask, could I possibly be trying to fulfill some things in a bad way? It's just like you can quench your thirst with a Diet Coke or quench your thirst with water. Which one of them is actually quenching your thirst? So I've been listening to A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. So good. And the words that he would say, you're, you're saying the exact same thing he does, but this is called like at the activation of the pain body. And, and your pain body is the pain or whatever, your anxiety or whatever is hurting. It's also your ego, your, right? It's your ego, but, um, it can, but, it can be, but it can be built up by past experiences, childhood, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. But he talks about the triggers of it. And so being aware of the triggers and watching it and then dis- – and this is a process, he says, but the goal is to disassociate from the triggers and observe it, watch it, don't fight it, don't embrace it, just watch it, which is what, exactly what you're talking about. Thank you. Yes, and I love being – that me and Eckhart Tolle are on the same page. Like that makes me feel really great. But also this is step number eight, and this is a lot about what we talk in the podcast. I feel like falls into – in kind of in this realm of four to 10, five to 10, yeah. maybe sometimes eight to 10. And that's why I think sometimes you might get in a get in a place where you're like, I can't even do the things that I think will help me. And that's why when you need to go back to one through three. So now we are in number nine. And this is the one that Eric has to help me with. And you guys hear me fighting this on the podcast lots of weeks is don't get caught up in being perfect or feel like negative emotions mean you're you're failing. So once I've noticed my negative emotions and I've processed them, good. I I never have to have them anymore. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And so where am I with my anxiety today? I have it. I don't have it on a daily basis. I have it tied to my periods. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm even doing a lot of things, and I'll talk about this later when I feel like I have an even bigger handle on it, but I feel like I'm learning some practices and different things to even help my period Well, I, I, I'm impressed that you track your period. So you... That's another thing of so what you, I've been doing. Yeah, you can look at it, and you're like, you know what? You will tell me, like, hey, yeah. like, I'm also like... And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then it's well, like we're both disassociating from how you're feeling. Exactly. Because what I used to do is I used to say, I feel anxious. I feel bad. I feel like crap. And then I would start looking around for the things in my life that could be making me feel anxious or bad or like crap and tying them to the emotion so that I could understand the emotion. This actually does me a huge disservice. Yeah, absolutely. Because just sitting in the, I feel anxious, I feel like crap, that's how I feel. And accepting it is so much more powerful and freeing Mm -hmm. than trying to assign it to a problem and label it and then try to solve the problem and let the problem, and then it just, it really just magnifies it. Yeah. It really, really does. And so that's why number nine, don't get caught up in being perfect. You can have those negative emotions. It doesn't mean you failed. And number 10 
is you keep fighting the good fight every damn day. And I call it the good fight because, you know what, guys? I don't know if it should be this quote-unquote difficult to not have anxiety attacks. I don't know. I ask Eric, I'm like, I feel like I have to work so hard to be mentally strong. Maybe I should be on medication because I have to work so hard. But for where I'm at right now, I feel good. I didn't need to take a Xanax for certain situations, and that's a slippery slope, those types of drugs. I didn't need to take those when before I got hit by the car for a while. But then when this new challenge and these new things, I, I needed help. Yeah. My body needed help. With mental health, I think, and this is what they do for pain management when you break ribs and they have to get the pain under control before you can start to heal. Yeah. And so that's, you need to focus on getting your pain under control. Why does this matter? Why does it matter? Suicide is the number two killer of youth in America. In Utah, it's number one. It's that's terrible. In adults, suicide I think has it, like the numbers have increased. I think it's like over thirty percent. It's even more than that. These are real. These are real. And you know what? It's not just about preventing suicide, which to me is incredibly important. It is about increasing the quality of your life. When you increase the quality of your life, you increase the quality of every single person who interacts with you. The person at the grocery store, your partner, don't take that on as this responsibility. I just hope you see how much value and how much worth you have. The quote that I share all the time is, it serves no one thinking you're a big piece of crap. People (laughs) repost that quote all the time. I have that on my Instagram. It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder that being happy is important. It's a good reminder that your mental health is important. And I really, really hope that me sharing so openly about my anxiety and my depression that you guys, I burst into tears today. I stayed in bed all day Sunday. The course launch is stressful. There's a lot of anxiety. Some other stressful things have happened, but I'm trying to accept the feelings. Eric was like, are you sure you want to do the podcast tonight? And I said, because I'm pretty drained. And I was like, you know what? I actually think reflecting back on how far I've come and all the things I know in the future I can do is going to really help me. And I genuinely hope it has helped you. So I want to one more time share the crisis text line with you. 741-741. If you are feeling in any desperate crisis, please use that number. Please reach out to a friend and loved one. And how about this? If this podcast has inspired you to get help or to help somebody else, we would love to say good job. You can send us an email at heygirl at the allisonshow.com. That's Allison with one L. And we might take a minute to get to you. I'm, I'm not saying people should reach out to us in a crisis because I'm not a qualified doctor. I'm saying I want to tell you, I want you to be accountable to someone. And so if you're listening to this and you feel like you need to get help, I want you to then tell me, Allison, I knew I needed to get help. And after listening, I got help so that I can tell you how proud of you I am. And just thank you so much for looking out for yourself. And Eric, I think I said everything. Yeah. I think I said everything. Um, I want to thank you guys again for letting me talk to you about Allison's Brand School audio courses and going and checking those out because I heard this advice the other day and it was never worry alone. 
Never worry alone. And I want you to apply that. When you are worrying alone, you're not problem solving. When you're worrying alone, we're usually catastrophizing. When it comes to our business and when it comes to um, our projects and creating something that we feel passionate about, so often we're worrying alone. But what these audio courses do is they put me and other experts in your ears so that we can problem solve and worry together. And even one step past that, you become a part of our private boss baby. Facebook group where people come in and they say, I posted this and it flopped. Why do you guys think that is? And people can help you troubleshoot. Or I did this and it worked and I want everyone else to try it. And you get good ideas. And so I really hope you'll check those out at allisonsbrandschool.com. That's Allison with one L. Thank you again for allowing me to talk about it. Eric, do you have a review? Yeah, I really like this one. She's she's fun. I don't know her, but she's fun. Okay, we love you. Jamie Olson says, I have been listening to your podcast for a month or so, and it is so inspirational. I'm always so quick to tell people about your podcast when they ask about my favorites. And I even tell people who don't ask. <laughs> Yay, sharing is caring. I told my friend she needs to listen to your podcast, and now she's going to your workshop at the end of this month. <gasps> she came to the workshop last month. She says, I look forward to listening to each episode. Thank you and Eric so much for your inspiration, motivation, and examples. That was Jamie. Jamie Olson. Jamie Olson, thank you so much for encouraging your friend to come to the workshop. That workshop was so much fun. Jamie, McKenna's going to be upset. I can't remember the right email address, but I think do heygirl at theallisonshow.com and then I'll get it right the next time. Also, we're still in our sharing is caring bonanza because we're almost to a million. And so I truly am I'm going to be um, featuring and sharing and sending out prizes to people who share about our podcast on your social media or like Jamie, we're going to read your review and then we're going to send you some goodies. So leaving those reviews really, really helps us. And man, we really appreciate it. I want to remind you that only you can be you and you are already as awesome as you need to be. Eric, what song are you going to take us out on? This is an inspirational song that I wrote with my friend Scott Shepard. It's in our Pleasant Pictures Music Club library, and it's called First Time in the Fjords. 